a Jesus. So um, I'll just uh, introduce myself again. Um, Anthony, am I being picked up here? You got me? We're good? Okay. Um, like Anthony said, my wife Jenny and I, we work with Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, our crew as you may also know it as, uh, down in the Twin Ports and also up here in the um, Iron Range and up in Ely and Vermilion. And so it's an honor to be with you here today. Thank you for having us here today as we share um, God's Word together. Now, I also want to start, and I don't want to forget to do this, is to say thank you to you for supporting our family, for praying for us, and for um, uh, being part of our ministry team. For without you guys, uh, really, we'd be missing a lot of college students who need to hear the gospel. And we just want to say thank you. So as a collective family, we just want to let you know we're so grateful to be here. Um, you know, when Marlon reached out to me this summer and asked me if I'd be willing to come help uh, fill pulpit while he's on vacation, I said, yeah, sure, what are you guys talking about? And he mentioned you guys have been in the prophets, but also that your adult Sunday school has been part of the Psalms. I thought, well, that's great, because one of my favorite psalms to preach on is Psalm 96. And, um, and so I thought this would be great, because he also wanted me to share with you about an update from the year of what we've seen God do on campus with college students. And it's going to be about remembering. And that's really what Psalm 96 is. It's about remembering the goodness of God. And so uh, when you encounter a song like Psalm 96, it's easy to sing, I think, this song when life is really going well for you, Right? Um, and you need words to guide your heart uh, to the adoration of the Lord. Yet, I also think this is a great song to sing in moments when darkness seems to overwhelm your soul. Right? Um, it's a good song that we sing by faith, for we are all tempted to forget in dark times the things that God has taught us in the light. And that's why many of us uh, do things like journal, or we set up remembrance stones, or even... When we hang pictures up around our house, we do it because they help us remember times that were good, right? You know, you might see that picture of you by the lake or your family or your kids, and you just remember that God is there and he's good. Which is why today I think Psalm 96 can encourage us, whether you're at a place of great connection with the Lord, or if you're here today and you just feel like you and God are very distant and you don't know what to do next. And so um, when we are moved to remember him, we are also moved to praise him, and we can sing a new song. So before I begin, I'd like to pray, if you would bow your heads with me so we can bring this message to the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all praise, and we come to you knowing this in our minds. Yet so often our hearts can be far from you. We are a people that are quick to forget and quick to give our hearts to worshiping worthless idols and sin. Forgive us for that, Father. Forgive me for my sin, too. Please meet with us today. Holy Spirit, would you please fill this place and give us receptive hearts. Please let your word speak for itself, either through me or in spite of me, but would you please speak to us? Would you elicit change in us so that when we leave today, we would be more ready to declare the truth of the gospel to the nations and to our neighbors and to ourselves? God, I thank you for this fellowship, believers. Thank you for removing all distraction or pride or hardness in our hearts today. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your grace. Amen. So, if you would open with me in your Bibles to Psalm 96. We're going to be camping out there today. Uh, I'm actually going to be reading the passage of Scripture here today from uh, the New Living Translation. Uh, I actually really enjoy how it uh, appropriates this psalm, and so I wanted to uh, 
let you know that's where I'm taking it from if in case your translations are different. So, um, Psalm 96. says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord and praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that He has done. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of the nations are mere idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him. Strength and beauty fill His sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord all the glory He deserves and bring your offering uh, to Him and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in all of His holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before Him. Tell the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge His people, all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout with His praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with His truth. Amen. Now, when I first encountered this psalm, I always liked verse 10. Tell the nations that the Lord reigns. I guess I liked it because of its missional thrust. Um, and it's often called a mission song, uh, too, but the more I began to think about this and look at it, the more like I saw it in context, I thought, you know what? I think this is not just a song to declare the good news of God's, of God's glory, but also to remember the greatness of God above everything else, which is why I've entitled this sermon, um, Finding a New Song by Remembering the Greatness of God. Finding a New Song by Remembering the Greatness of God. Uh, this, the unique thing about this psalm is that we actually know when this song was written, we know the occasion for which it was produced, and we can see why David wrote it. Now, if you were to look back into the Old Testament and look at First Chronicles 16, 23 to 33, you would actually see this whole psalm laid out. It's a hymn of thanksgiving that also includes Psalm 105 and 106 in the context of Scripture. Uh, now, so the occasion for this hymn, why it was written, was it was sang to, by the Levitical worship leaders for all of Israel to sing to. They were to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, but also remind them of the wonderful things the Lord had done. Now, this psalm came about uh, when Israel had just taken over the land. David had established his kingdom in Jerusalem. And really, in essence, this is like the... We're almost at the apex of David's life, you know, where it's climbing up before it kind of takes a crash after Bathsheba and all those other things like that. You'll see that um, David writes this psalm after years of running from Saul. He's become king. He's consolidated um, uh, the, the people to follow him. And he is, right, he is the unquestioned king and the Lord's anointed one. He has defeated the Philistines. Um, and he has just established that, that new capital. And he's actually rebuilt the tabernacle. And he's wanting the Ark of the Covenant um, to come back to Jerusalem to, to be there. But when he first moves, tries to move the Ark, if you remember... He runs into problems, right? They don't do it right. Uh, he made poor choices in terms of how they were moving it. And actually, if you remember uh, Yuza, when the, when the ark was on a, an oxen court, our cart, it kind of stumbled and he went up to touch it, to, to steady it, and he actually died. And now, Second Samuel, verse 6, tells this story. Um, we see that David is moved by God's power 
and is filled with the holy fear that God's judgment upon them was righteous since they didn't follow the ways that God was meant for them to move uh, the ark. So the second time, and this is when the song comes up, is that he makes sure to treat this with great reverence, patience, and sacrifices all the way because he knows a holy and righteous God is moving along with them. I mean, David pulls off all the stops. You know, if you remember the story, he, uh, he sacrifices every couple feet to make sure that he, he's pleasing the Lord. Um, and uh, all of Israel is there to celebrate the coronation of the ark coming back into Jerusalem uh, to the proper place that it belongs. Uh, we're also told that the priests carried in David danced before the Lord. I mean, he got out and boogied, right? You know, he was excited. I mean, he wasn't, there was no frozen chosen amongst David. He was excited that the, the ark was coming back to the kingdom, all right? And this is probably one of David's greatest celebrations at this point, probably even bigger than David and Goliath, probably better when he became king. You know why? Because God's presence would come back to the house where it belonged and the people could worship God. And that is what David was so excited about. And uh, what better way than to sing about good news than to be happy about good news, right? When you're happy, you want to sing, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm doing well, I want, to, I want to sing, and I want to turn the radio up, and I want to rock it, you know, or something like that, when things are going really well. And what better way to commemorate this day than to sing? You know, as the old song goes, it goes, um, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So, thank you, thank you. You know, um, for someone like my wife, this song brings up great emotion for her, because it's connected to her grandfather, and this was his favorite song. And I don't think I've ever seen a time where we've, like, it's come up on the radio that she doesn't tear up in some way or another. And she's, I'm, I'm doing it too. But So why does that song matter to her? Because when she remembers her grandfather and all the love that she shared with him, that comes up, right? I'm sure there are songs in your life that you've sung. Maybe it's a song at your wedding. Maybe it's a song that God brought to your heart during really hard times that just touches you and causes you to remember his goodness. And I don't doubt that when David had Psalm 96 sung again in his later life, he would remember those good times on this coronation. I think when he was writing it, he was remembering about all the good things that God had done to him in, this, in his life up till now. And that's how we want to approach this. We do just that. We look at it at face value. And so, what's the big idea of this psalm? I think when we see it here, um, there we go, um, we see that it's a call to let all of creation sing a new song of joyful praise to the Lord, consistently proclaiming its marvelous, His marvelous works, His reigning power, His coming judgment, and His glorious salvation to all the nations of the earth. For He is great and worthy to be praised. So, however, consistently remembering and consistently praising God can be hard, right? Um, I struggle with it, and I imagine you do as well. There are times when my desire isn't always for God's goodness. Rather, it's to focus on myself or how hard life is or how broken the world is around me. We don't always enjoy giving God reign over our lives, right? And I don't always enjoy his judgment upon me. You know, we may know that we're saved, but sometimes we just forget how amazing that is, right? Like when you stop and think about it, like you are saved and God loves you and has changed you, but you know what? It's hard to remember that. Sometimes we have opportunities to tell people about Christ, 
but yet we miss on those things, right? We have a new identity, but we still live in a very fallen world, and I think this psalm points to a very real, real thing that uh, our fallen condition, as we see it through the psalm, is this. All of us struggle to consistently worship the Lord and tell others about Him because we forget the good things God has done for us. We live for ourselves and allow our hearts to worship other things. Which is why you and I still need the gospel, right? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or 60. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And I think that's why David wrote this psalm. I love the redemptive solution in this passage too. Like there's got to be a solution if there's a problem, right? So what's the solution? Because God is great and marvelous. It is his priority to remind us how good he is. By his grace, he restores the joy of our salvation. And he puts eternity in perspective for us. He reclaims the rightful places in our hearts so we can sing a new song to the Lord and we can tell the world about him. And that's what we're going to do with the rest of our time today. We're going to look at four major themes, so if you're note-takers, you can take these down, about the attributes that God calls us to remember. And we're going to look at both our fallen condition and the redemptive solution in that. So these are the four themes we're going to look at. His marvelous works, his reigning power, his coming judgment, and his gracious salvation. So we look at his marvelous works. We see the scripture here, uh, the first, the first uh, four verses, which uh, the worship team read for us today. We see that God does amazing things, doesn't he? He's done marvelous works as recorded in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. He's done amazing things in the history of the church for the last 2,000 years it's been in existence. And I know he's done amazing things in your life too. What are they? Do you remember them? Can you think upon the things that God has done for you? Um, and, you know, the Bible talks about here, it says, like, publish his glorious deeds among the nations. If you were writing a book about God, what would you publish about your life to tell someone else about him? When I was thinking about this, the question came to mind is, what is one amazing thing God has done in your life today that you can proclaim about him? So I had a couple thoughts. First of all, I can think about the blessings of God in my life, be it my wife or my children or the consistent care he's given me and financial support over 17 years of doing ministry, or the friends that have come into my life at just the right time, or the things I've witnessed him do. Like I've witnessed him help lead lost college students to Christ and and have seen people turn from death to life. Um, Or when I've confessed sin and I was afraid that if I was going to do it, that a relationship was going to be broken up, but God used that time and obedience to restore it. Or perhaps it's the miraculous things that have happened, like, I mean, I've been in three situations in a vehicle where I should have probably died, and yet God's miraculous hand saved me. Or I was part of a revival as a high school student where God used me to help others find freedom in their life. Or even how God brought Jenny and I through some hardships in our life and restored trust in each other. Or you think about the salvation of friends of yours that seem so far off that you're like, you became a Christian? Are you serious? Right? These are some miraculous events. I mean, you look outside. Creation, right? It gives attention to God and all he's given us. And I mean, who can't rejoice over a beautiful starry night or a sunset over a lake, right? Think about the promises he's kept to you or his faithfulness to you. And you know what? Um, I get that sometimes it's hard to think about the things that God has done, but yet this psalm tells us that we're supposed to declare the glory of the Lord to other people, which is what we're going to do now. I want you to think about this, that, that question up on top, what is one amazing thing that God has done for you that you can proclaim to him today? Just stop right now and think about one thing, the first thing that comes to mind, what has God done for you? Okay? 
I want you to proclaim that and turn to your neighbor. I want you to each tell each other of simply what is something that God has done for you, okay? So we're going to do this. Go ahead, turn, tell them about something God's done to you, for you. Go ahead. Okay? Got it? Right? How often do we do that? You know, I've done this before with students of mine where I'll say, like, sit down and think about 50 things you could be thankful for right now. And they're like, oh, Adam, I can't do that. And it's like, trust me, you'll be fine. They start writing things down and it just keeps going and going and, and then the list fills really quickly, doesn't it? Um, you know, the problem, though, I think we face is not that we don't take time to worship God and are in awe of Him. Capacity to worship is not something we lack. Okay, we all have the capacity to worship. It's just what do we give our worship to, right? I mean, why is it that I can be more inspired by a sports performance than I can be by reading God's word? Or why is it that I can be awed by celebrities or possessions or recognition, but still struggle with things like addictions or hang-ups? I think the thing is that we struggle to worship God and we forget the amazing things that he's done for us. Which is why I think all of us need to create a discipline in, in our lives to regularly worship the Lord. To regularly set aside time to think about how good he is for us. How are you doing in that? The second thing we need to be concerned about as we think about the things that we want to remember is his reigning power. Okay, The scripture here says he is be feared above all gods. There are no other gods before him. They're all mere idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty are filled his sanctuary. Oh, the nations of the world recognize the Lord. You see all these things of giving credit to God for who he is. Tell the nations the Lord reigns, right? The second thing we see and are reminded of about God's reigning power over all the earth is that we're to give credit where credit is due, right? God is in control. He's on the throne. King Jesus reigns. He will always reign. It doesn't matter how messed up the world is around us. His sovereign hand is here. He sovereignly placed the leaders of our country over us, whether we like them or not. We're called to pray for them and trust the Lord with that. We trust the Lord in the midst of the geopolitical chaos that's around us, right? Who's in control? King Jesus. He always will be. It, 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 it's clear here. We know that someday Jesus is coming back, and, at, and as Paul says in Philippians 2, and that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess on heaven and earth and under the earth, that Christ Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father, right? It's going to happen someday. His reigning power will be complete in the end times, but yet he still deserves his preeminence and reign in my life today, which can be super hard, right? How many of you kids like to listen to your parents and do everything they say? No. <laughs> That's my child, and he's being honest about that, all right? So why are we to begin to believe that once we age, it just that changes in us, right? We all still have moments, right, kids? And your parents do this too. You can ask them about this. There are moments where they're like, I don't want to listen, God. I don't want to do what you say I'm supposed to do, right? But how are we doing that saying, God, I know I'm not great at it. How do I put you first? How do I bow my knee before you? How do I trust you to be king in my life? You know, I wrestle with wanting to be in control, 
Sometimes I want to sin because it makes me feel better for a second. Sometimes I would rather receive glory than to give glory to God, right? So I think it's really a question about lordship and where are we at with this. And the question I want you to think about is how are you doing at submitting to his reigning power and what's one thing in your life that you're controlling or refusing to let go of because you don't want, you want to be king of your life. So kids, is there some sibling you don't want to forgive for when they treat you poorly? Adults, is there someone that you have bitterness in your heart towards? Is there someone in your, is there something going on in your life that you just don't want to tell anyone about because it's like dark and icky? So what I want to do is instead of turning to your neighbor to talk to them about the thing that's really scary or things you should change, I just want you to talk to God about that. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you think of whatever it is in your life that is not right, that you need to ask God for forgiveness for, we're going to do that right now. So I just want to give you a space here to bring to Jesus whatever it is in your life that just is not right, that you need him to be in control of. Heavenly Father, we need you once again to take control of the throne of our lives. Make us the kind of people you want us to be. We love you. Amen. You know, even acts of repentance can be worshipped to Jesus. Right? Even when you've made mistakes and failed and you repent, that's something that God rejoices over. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when any sinner repents. But so we need to look at things like this. We need to remember his amazing works. We need to remember his amazing power. And thirdly, we need to remember his coming judgment. How many love judgment, right? God's judgment is coming down upon you. Okay, let's read this again here, right? He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. The sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and the crops burst with joy. The trees and the forest sing for joy. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, what does that look like? How do, like, trees sing, you know? But if you're ever out in the woods, you know, you see them swaying around and it's like, and like they, it's almost like dancing and joyful. I don't know. But yet, it's still creation is supposed to celebrate the coming judgment of our king. But why about that? Now, before I get into that, I have a reason I think we can celebrate his judgment, but I want to talk about two things first. Why we, why we struggle with judgment often, okay? First of all, I think we struggle with judgment because in today's world, to judge someone is total anathema, right? If I judge you, it's the worst thing I could possibly do to you to not celebrate the differences between our lives, right? And um, we experience this all the time on campus. I mean, even crew students that are walking with Jesus struggle to like not stand for truth because their friends might disagree with them. And uh, what if I see something different from you? I don't want to be judgmental because then I'm a hypocrite or I'm a bigot or I'm someone awful, right? How many of you kids struggle to tell your friends the truth about Jesus because you know they don't believe it? And some do, right? Or sometimes we know we should be doing something we should be doing and we don't do it. How many of you adults struggle to tell your friends about Jesus? Right? It's not just kids. It's everybody. We're afraid. We don't want to, we don't want to be judgmental. Secondly, uh, when someone accuses us about being judgmental, we're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. I, I don't want to have that identity. I don't want to be known as a judgmental person. But if you're standing for truth, like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, you're going to take hits. And people are going to come after you, right? Don't be upset when people get mad at you for telling the truth because really they're just mad at God. It just comes out sideways on you, right? 
Now, you can be a jerk about it, and, you know, then people are going to, then that's not good, right? But let's live in such a way that it's his truth based on his scripture, and he has the right to set the moral standard for us. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard young people or celebrities use phrases like this. Um, hold on a second, I just need to share my truth with you here, you know, which tends to be a blanket statement in my experience for, um, I'm going to say something or do something that I know in my heart is probably not okay, and if it's wrong, it breaks God's law, but I still expect you to be okay with it, whatever I say, right? Ever been around people like that? Seen that? It's, in the end, it's just self-justification. And many communities use it, like the LGBT community or the secular humanists, or even the group of moms at a soccer game that are gossiping about the, their friend, right? In reality, all of us struggle with the my truth issue. For those of us that think we don't, let me say this. Have you ever made a statement with like something goes on like this? Yeah, I know I shouldn't do it, but... Or, you see, I wouldn't, but given the circumstances, or, yeah, 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 I, I know I looked at that thing and I shouldn't have done it, but at least I didn't do this. Or, how about the great... Well, yeah, but what about so-and-so, right? That, that, in essence, is the same thing as the people that are like, this is my truth, right? For all of us, from the youngest to oldest, seek to justify our sin in some way or another. At some point, we must all come to terms with the fact that God supersedes any flimsy attempt I might make to justify my behavior, okay? And he is the coming to judge the earth he will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. So going back to my original question, why um, would we rejoice over the coming judgment of the Lord? And I think my main answer comes back to this idea is when it happens, it will finally restore us to life before the fall. Right? A time before life got so out of whack. A time before sin and separation from God ever took place. A time when there were no more tears and sadness or death, a time with no more loneliness or mental illness or depression or suicide. We can live in a world without sexual sin or abuse or alcoholic rages or lives destroyed by substance abuse. Children will love their parents. Kids will love their siblings. Parents will treat their kids with love and honor. Right? And I imagine that um, when Paul himself was describing this coming judgment, he used the same imagery in Romans 8, if you remember, this idea of creation wanting to see justice and judgment come upon us. If you want to, you can flip over to Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 24. It will also be up on the screen here, if you can read it. I know it's small. Uh, but I want us to see this here. Is this, the, when, the fall, when the fallen world gets wiped away, everything is going to be better and we can be joyful in that. Yet, we suffer now, and what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all of creation is eagerly awaiting that future day when God will reveal to his children, his children who they really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join in God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we now know that all of creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth. I've never given birth to a child before, but I, I've been there. But it's not good, right? It's this sense, this anticipation. Let's get rid of. Let's get this to happen, right? You know, anyone who's been there, right? And the sense that we want this anticipation that's going to happen, and we groan inwardly, even though we have the Holy Spirit 
within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Do you see that this longing is only fulfilled after Christ returns and brings his judgment? Which is why I think, for me, these are my top six reasons to be excited for judgment. First of all, we know that creation is going to be restored to the pre-fall days before he judges the world. Secondly, our just God will defend the offended and punish the offender. Right? Um, All the really bad people and the people that have bullied you in your life or treated you poorly or the murderers and the liars, one day those who do evil will be judged rightly by a king who knows every heart perfectly. And we also know, number three, that all judgment to come will be fair and based on the standard of God's word. You know, no one's ever going to be able to say, oh, I never knew that, that wasn't my fault, you know. Because Paul in Romans 1 says that we know that God is there because we see him throughout creation. It's eternal power and divine nature, so we have no excuse for not knowing God. Number four is because God is good, we can trust him to be a righteous and good judge. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys have come under bad or poor judgment, right? Times when someone didn't give you what you deserved and it wasn't fair, right? But God is going to be fair and he's going to be righteous and good. And fifthly, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ as our substitute will be judged based on his record alone. Isn't that good news? That I don't have to have my record go up before God? Um, and when his judgment is rendered for his followers, perfect eternity awaits for us. And, you know, I know you guys have thought about this perhaps, but remember, it's about the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. We're going to hear someday, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to get a chance to see every tribe, tongue, nation of the world rejoicing in the King, right? And because sin and death have been defeated, our deepest longings are going to be met. Won't that be a wonderful day? Like that day when we meet Jesus face to face? So what about you? Like of all these things up here, which one of these six things would you say is the most meaningful, the most impactful, the most special to you? If you're taking notes, you can write one of them down. And I would encourage you guys with your families today to talk about that over lunch. Talk about, with your kids, parents, what is the one thing you are looking forward to when you think about God judging the world? Because these are all good things, right? And they don't happen unless God's judgment comes upon us. So we talked about his amazing, um, uh, marvelous works. We talked about the reigning king. We've talked about his um, uh, coming judgment. But lastly, we can't forget his glorious, his gracious salvation. We see in verse 2, he says, Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. You know, in my top ten list, or my top six list, I should say, um, we remember God's promises towards us when it comes to eternity. To remember your salvation with eager anticipation. Like the old hymn says, I'm going to pull up another old hymn. So how many of you guys know this? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Sing with me. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Right? And that is going to be a good day, right? Praise the Lord. It's coming someday for us. You know what? I don't want to be a stickler on this, but that's not exactly what this passage is talking about. It's good, 
But we can't forget that something else is talking about. Psalm 96 wants us to not just rejoice when we get to heaven, but we're to proclaim every day the good news of Jesus Christ, right? As Christians, when we use the phrase, I've been saved, so oftentimes I think we think about heaven, right? We look forward to that. And it's a good thing, right? Some of us are living in tents of bodies that we're like, this is breaking down. I cannot wait for my good body to come. Anyone amen on that? Okay, so you're like this point of, I cannot wait for Jesus to come back and save me, right? But you know what? Um, I've thought these thoughts too, but over the course of my life, starting when I was in college, I was challenged to see that salvation is something to be present now, something that affects me today, not just when I'm 90 years old and on my deathbed, right? So the call, the, the call in, of David in the psalm echoes that. But what does that mean? to have his gracious salvation uh, in my life now. We have to apply the gospel daily. So, example, when I sin and step out of God's holy standard for my life, I can remember the gospel and experience forgiveness. You know, through Christ, I have been saved from the trappings of things like lust and using others for my pleasure or my purposes. Through Christ, I am saved from pleasing people and from the lie that I'll never be enough for anybody. Through Christ, you and I are saved from performance or earning love from other people. Through Christ, I'm saved from generational sin and I can love my kids and my wife differently than I witnessed growing up. You know, these are just a few things that I can proclaim about my salvation today. How about you? What is something that God has saved you for in the present, today, that you don't deal with anymore because he's come into your life? And that's the question I want you to ask. What has God saved you from? What are you still trusting God to redeem about your life or change about you? Do you know that your testimony can be one of the most powerful witnesses in the world to someone else? And yes, this is going to be my final point, I promise, okay? And this is the point I wrap up. It's about evangelism. Yes, I'm a missionary. And, I, um, and if you think that Jenny and I are evangelism machines that do everything perfectly and we share the gospel with everyone, well, we're not. Um, I could concede that I, and affirm that I think I have the gift of evangelism, and I love talking to punk college kids who think they know everything about everything, and they just don't, you know, but it's like, I was a punk college kid too, you know? I thought I knew everything about everyone. I mean, didn't we all when we were like 18 to 19, you know? But I love telling them about Jesus because he's worth sharing. Because like you, I've had moments I've been selfish, or I don't share them my gospel like I should, yet if I'm to be truthful and faithful to the scripture, I have to challenge you all with this, folks, is that the Bible says each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Tell the nations the Lord reigns. Friends, these aren't suggestions. These aren't just, you know, places where you can say, oh, someone else should do that. No, you are to do that. You're supposed to love and share the gospel with your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. You're supposed to share the gospel with people you don't like, let's say politically or um, in belief systems, or someone that looks different than you, or someone from a nation that's different than yours, right? Wherever you are placed, wherever you are called, you must adopt the posture of Isaiah, where God says, who's going to go for us? We stand up and say, send me, 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 pick me, God. I'll go tell someone. I'll tell them about Jesus, all right? Now, how's that going for you? How are you guys doing at proclaiming the good news to your friends and families? Like I told you to think about something that, you know, to share with your family. I want you to think about this. Who is someone in your life 
that God today would want you to talk to about Christ? Who is that person, whether they seem really far away from God or the person that you know you should be talking to and you've been like, ah, I don't want to do it, God. Think about that person and talk about that with your family. One of the greatest privileges I have with my job is showing up on campus and, telling student, and taking students out sharing with me. I'll be like, come on, young freshman guy, let's go do this. And they're like, I'm not going to talk to some stranger. What are you talking about? I'm like, no, it's going to be fine. I used to do it too. I used to hate that. I did not ever want to share my faith. But then I went up to someone and said, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? And it was super awkward. It was super weird. But you know what? God's Holy Spirit moved. And he led a kid to Christ. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, we can like share the gospel and people respond? And I'm like, dang, I want to do that every day. That's awesome. You know, and again, not every day I'm always in that same mood. But the truth of it is, is I get a chance to see people trust Christ. And not every day that happens. There are days that get rejected. There are days on campus when I get to experience um, people that push back and they don't care about spiritual things. But I want to share with you a little ministry update. So this is kind of incorporated with this message here about three students, Laura, Nick, and Alexis. All right? Now, um, the uh, thing I want to share with you about Laura is I met her on campus. I'm going to call her Laura. It's not her real name, but just for the sake of her own privacy, I'm going to say her name's Laura. I met her with my friend Ben. Ben is a student on campus at UMD. He, um, uh, one of my disciples, we're in the cafeteria, we're initiating conversations with people, doing this whole, like, come on with me, Ben. He's like, okay, Adam, I'll go with you. And I say, hey, Ben, why don't you pray and see if there's someone in, the, in this room, this large cafeteria we can reach out to. And sure enough, he prays, I pray. I go talk to this, let's go talk to this guy. And he says, oh, I think we need to talk to that girl over there. And I'm like, well, well, Ben, let's just, let's just say this. I, I think we should just talk to the fellas, maybe not the ladies, right? And so we go up to the, the fella, and it's, it's, we have a conversation. And he's like, man, Adam, I cannot shake it. We've got to go talk to that girl over there. So I'm like, all right, man, but you're initiating. I'm not going to be like the old 40-year-old guy that goes up and says, hey, lady, how's it going? I want to talk about Jesus, you know? So, so Ben goes up and initiates, and uh, we use a tool here. I, I got it right here. It's called the Snapshot Cards. They're basically uh, pictures and images that you can use and set out before people and say, hey, look at these pictures and tell me what you think about them. It's a way to get into spiritual conversations. It, it turns and pivots to actually asking them, you know, hey, uh, what do you think about God or what picture seems like God to you? And when we asked Laura that question, Laura like, kind of paused and was like, what? And it said, well, yeah, we're a Christian organization and we are talking to people about Jesus. And what do you think about God? And what picture shows that? So I said, you know what? Just before you guys came over here, I was praying for the first time in six months that God would show back up in my life and reveal himself to me. And I was like, and so then I feel stupid because I'm like, Ben's all like, we got to talk to her. And I'm like, no, 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 just the fellas, you know. So again, naturally don't do that, but it happened to be the Holy Spirit moved, right? And now what you don't know about Laura is that she used to be part of a youth group, but because she struggled with some attractions, if you will, for the same gender, she was essentially asked not to come back and lead. And she felt rejected and pushed out. She felt unloved. And she didn't really feel like following God was worth it. So she got plugged into that other community on campus, as you all know. And she was finding acceptance there, but she wasn't finding God. So when we found her, we were kind to her. We shared shared love to her and said, you know, why don't you just come check out Crew? And she was hesitant at first, but we said, you know what? I don't have to worry about all the other stuff. God will worry about that. We just want you to reconnect with him. We want you to remember Jesus and your love for him.
So she came and she showed up and, and she got connected with the women on campus. And so that was good. Me and Ben could kind of pass her off, you know. And then over time, she got plugged in and got discipled. And she's still working through some of that stuff, but she's allowing God to be Lord over that part of her life, which is amazing. And if it wouldn't have been for the fact that we went up and talked to some stranger on the cafeteria, Laura would have probably lived her life without community, without hope. All right? That's one story. second story I want to share with you is about my friend Nick and Mitch. I guess it's two people, right? So Nick and Mitch, I met them on campus at UW-Superior, and both of them uh, would consider that weren't believers, right? They, they were semi-interested spiritually, but they weren't sure where that landed, right? And so Nick and Mitch started meeting with me. We talked about the gospel. We talked about Jesus. And, and over time, this kind of like hard shell of like atheism and rejection and like agnosticism, whatever you want to call it that day, started to break. And by about February, I was talking to Nick about the gospel, and I said, Nick, how do you feel about this? And he said, you know what, Adam? And this was his quote. He said, I've now come to accept that there is a God, and I'm really close to accepting Jesus as God, too. It just, uh, I'm almost there. It feels like uh, I spent so much of my life professing to be an agnostic, telling people confidently I don't think that God can ever be known. Yet, when I'm with you guys, the crew students, I don't have those feelings anymore nor am I embarrassed to talk about spiritual things with you. My thinking has really changed in a good way. And honestly, I think the reason I'm afraid to accept Christ, get this, is because it goes against my previous beliefs in Christianity, forcing me to admit that I was wrong. Okay? And I'm also afraid that if I accept Christ, and I don't live the Christian life perfectly, I'm going to mess up. Right? So, Nick still isn't there yet. He's still, we're still working on this with him, but... I'm able to kind of move him towards that space, and students are able to move him towards that space. And his buddy Nick, or Mitch, I should say, said, you know, said to us around the same time in that same conversation, like, I don't get it. And in a perfect classic college guy way. So every time I'm around you guys, students, you know, you're always so happy. See, I'm often angry and frustrated and thinking judgmental thoughts about people. You keep talking about surrendering my life to Christ. Is that how I can experience what you guys are talking about? I'm like, yeah, Mitch, it is. Mitch just texted me yesterday and was like, hey, when's crew starting up? So he's still not there yet, but he's getting closer. All right? I'll show you a picture of those two up here. Those are the front guys in the front. That's on the far left. That's um, uh, Mitch, and the guy on the right is Nick. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet Abby and Alexis, but I'm going to close with this story. They're kind of a local angle or local connection here. Uh, they are two girls that were involved in the Vermilion Community College Bible study that Anthony and Hannah lead. And now um, Abby is on the left and Alexis is on the right. And Abby came to college as a believer. She was a Christian student. We love finding Christian students on campus. And she came to college and she found Alexis with a roommate. She started going to the, the Bible study and wanted to make a difference um, in her life and have community and connection. Abby starts talking to or Alexis about Jesus. And she's not so sure about Jesus yet, but she said, you know, I'll go with you to Bible study. I'll come along with you. And after many long talks in their room, Abby helps Alexis find Christ. Alexis puts her faith in Jesus, gets plugged in, starts to grow. And I guess even last summer, Alexis got baptized. And she had a chance, and before she, before she left Vermilion, she was helping to lead and give, um, um, input in that Bible study. Guys, this is something that we get to see every day. And I share this because 
This is why campus ministry exists. It's to reach college students, to reach students who have never heard about Jesus, to reach people who maybe have heard about Jesus but have rejected him because of the way the culture has represented Jesus to them. And it takes a lot of work and it takes time and faithful prayer. And you know what? Students today face an immense challenge to be on a campus that is hostile and resistant to God. And I'll just share with you here, these are some things that God did last year in our ministry. We saw and invited over 8,000 students, or like sent out invitations 8,000 times. We had about 800 spiritual conversations. 2,000 of those were gospel conversations. As you can see from the board, 34 students put their faith in Christ this last year. Now I know that 34 is just a number to you, but all these people had names and faces and families and histories, and they gave their life to Jesus because... Uh, 50-some volunteers and student leaders said, we're going to go after the campus. And so I want to invite you guys, as you think about this psalm, as you think about the ministry that is here, friends, I declare to you that the Lord reigns. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. And I rejoice over all that God did last year. And you guys were part of that, praying for us, supporting us, being involved in that. And so when we faithfully declare that the Lord reigns, we will receive that good news of great joy. And in conclusion, if you guys ever get stuck and don't know how to share the gospel when the good news is presented to you or opportunity to come there, remember you can always talk about his marvelous works, his reigning power, his coming judgment, and his gracious salvation and how they've changed your life. So I want to pray for you and I'll give you a brief update on how you can pray for us, okay? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you are amazing, you do do mighty works, you do reign as king, you are the judge and you do save us. Help us never to forget those things today. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of college students around the world through both the ministry of crew and other ministries that exist on campus to serve as gospel witnesses to students in the pivotal time in their life. And I pray for this community, I pray for this church. Would you bless them? as they lead out uh, in their ministry here. Amen. So um, if the worship team, I know you got a song to sing. If you want to come up, you can. I'm just going to show you here. Um, this is our family. If you, if you didn't see them around the church, uh, Alex, Micah, Jenny, me, Zach, and Karin. And these are some ways you can pray for us, okay? First of all, pray for connections, uh, events that are happening. You know, student, school starts in literally one week. Students are coming back. So pray for divine appointments, connections with believers, and opportunities to meet seekers. Pray for spiritual protection over our family. Pray for open doors in the specific campuses we lead in, like UW-Superior, UMD, and Vermilion. Pray for the Bermals and the relaunch of the Vermilion College Bible Study. They had a lot of second years involved last year, and so we're hoping that new first years get plugged in, right? Uh, and pray for something that's coming up here. And, and I've got this for you. It's kind of a cool plug or announcement. It's called the Aruna Run slash walk. It's happening on September 10th in Duluth, Minnesota, and it's to, it's a, to help join fighting human trafficking where you actually get to run for a woman who is being released from bondage. Whether you run or you walk, you can come on down and participate with us. You can send a group with us. If you like to run, that's great. I've even got these cool little cards that I'm going to leave out in the back so you can grab one and you can sign up for it. Uh, our family also has prayer cards. You can pray for us with that. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for praying for us. It is an honor to be linked up with you guys, and so thank you for all that you do. And I'll pass it off to you guys, so thank you. So, please stand. We have a song to close with. Hopefully we can take this with us through the week to kind of remind us about what we learned today.